You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Our guest this week is Dublin man captain Jimmy Devlin. Jimmy retired from Aer Lingus in June of 2012, having been the manager of the Airbus fleet and having flown most of the fleet from the 737-200, the Shorts 360, the Saab 340 and the BA146 with Aer Lingus commuter before moving to the Airbus A320 and 330. In this chat, he shares the story of his flying career from a young cadet to fleet manager of the Airbus aircraft in the airline, remembering the people who worked with him along the way. He also shares some valuable advice for younger people considering an aviation career. Jimmy is now an instructor at Simtech Aviation on their MCC, JOC and APS training programmes. And I caught up with Jimmy this week at Dublin Airport. We found ourselves in the old Aer Lingus Technical Building, which is now a suite of offices. I began our chat by asking Jimmy if our location stirred any memories. First of all, the building isn't as I remember it. Um, but second of all, Aer Lingus had quite a presence here in this building. We had um, flight ops, uh, cabin ops, and we had engineering and uh, crew planning and all that sort of thing. So it was, uh, it was quite a presence. In fact, I think we had the whole building at, at some stage, up to maybe the late uh, 1990s, early 2000s. And down in the basement, of course, the simulators. Simulators, yeah. There was Going back in time, there was 737-200, there was the uh, 111, and then they built an extra bay when they got the 737-300, I think it was. So yeah. It was... Uh, and there were a couple of remnants of, of, of older ones there as well, the 707, I think, as well. 707, yeah, that's slightly before my time, but maybe bits of it remaining and that sort of thing, yeah, you know. Yeah. So. And, of course, that brings us to where you have you know, brought your career to at this point, where you still find yourself instructing in simulators. Yeah, I retired from Erlingus in 2012, and I got a phone call from, uh, you know, Captain Shea Pardy of this parish, and I think of many other parishes as well. And he asked me would I be interested in training in uh, Simtech. Simtech is a training, an approved training organisation, and um, they, at the time I joined, they had approval for type ratings on uh, 146 or the RJ as we know it, the um, Airbus 320. But their main, I think, their core business was, and I think still is, their MCC. Uh, so I, st- I joined there as a, a sim instructor in, in uh, middle of 2012, and was there and am there for uh, still to some extent, you know. Keeping in touch with flying, of course. But let, let's bring the clock back, because when you talk to a fellow who likes flying, and again, we're going to keep getting distracted, I suppose, with the window yeah. here of, of the movements that are out on the ramp. Um, when did you first think, ah, oh, this flying thing's for me? It, it, that's a hard question. I was always interested in aviation. It's not in the family. There's no background whatsoever. 
but from a very early age, probably from uh, even primary school, I was paying for Flight International magazine uh, in the local shop. Um, then in secondary school, at Aer Lingus were recruiting on and off irregularly. Um, they were doing cadet schemes, which was f- f- at my level and from my background, it was the only way I was ever going to, with exception maybe of the Air Corps, but the Air Corps had very limited recruitment. So I left school in 72-ish, um, no sign of anything at that stage, did a degree in engineering. And as I was finishing up then in 76, 77, Erlinga started recruiting again in cadets. So this was a golden opportunity for me. There was no other way into aviation for me. So I applied in, in 77 and on the 10th of October 77, Myself and a lot of other guys and, and, and ladies, lady, um, headed off to Oxford for a year and a bit. So Oxford was the base first? Oxford was the base. We were called AL2, which makes me think that AL1 was originally a group in, in um, that maybe have gone the year before or something. Sorry, we were AL3, AL2 had gone the year before, a small group, and then I think AL1 dates all the way back to 1966. Gives you an idea of, of how slow it was, actually. Yeah, and, but there were other areas used, like uh, Perth was used, uh, and a few other training schools were used. But yeah, the, the rec- recruitment in Erlingus was probably largely from the Air Corps at, at that stage, mm. maybe XRAF or something like that, uh, before my time. But mm. they got into the cadet scheme. Erlingus always believed in the cadet scheme, and, um, you know, as opposed to sort of people... Then the, the, the finance was the financial situation was different. Yeah. Then you you couldn't do whatever people managed to do now, um, get your your qualifications on a modular basis mm-hmm. or something like that. You know? well, I mean, just literally in line of sight here was the old location of Iona, where a lot of people would have That's been right. self-taught, yeah. and there wasn't a great appetite, I suppose, for people who came that route. No, I mean, for me, I took one lesson before I went for the interview to be sure myself that a I was really was interested in this, but the money that was, even though it wasn't maybe enormous money, it just wasn't around. You know, I mean, if you struggled through school, you struggled through through college, you, you just didn't have the f- sort of finance that was going to meet the requirements. So what Erlinga did was in the cadet scheme, uh, as they do even more recently, is they give it to you for free, and then you pay back over five years. You were bonded into it. You were bonded into it, and. There was no discussion and no argument. It was it was a great, a unique opportunity, and I was delighted. I certainly amongst many people to get that opportunity. You know. Can you name check a few of your class? Well, uh, one person I've heard on was um, Angelo Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I, I heard him do an, an interesting interview. Um, yeah, I can name them all actually. Okay. There was in our group there, it, that year, twenty five went over. Um, Eddie Dormer, Jeff Brown, O'Connor Rock. Well, who am I? Grania Conan was the first lady pilot to go over um, to, to. And you came back from Oxford to what fleet? Like, what, what, was, well, what was there for you? For us, it was the, we were told where to go. It was one of two. It was the 737, which I went on, and then there was a few guys went on to the uh, 111. Oh, of course. Yeah. I think it was four. Mm-hmm. Now, I can't name them, but I can guess at them, but it was four. But most of us went on to the 737. Yeah. And we're on there in the early, early 80s. Uh, 82, then we, some of us switched over to the Jumbo as third pilots, and we rotated on and off that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did 82 to 84, and then maybe 85 to 87. Came back onto 737 briefly, and then onto the famous short 360 for command. Really? Yeah. Tell us about that, because there's a, there's a certain... Um, 
twinkle in a person's eye when you talk to them about the shorts. It's not the prettiest looking aeroplane, but people love to fly it. Yeah, career-wise in Aer Lingus, um, you're, 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 once you're in there, your your progress is based on seniority. So for me, even though I was seven or eight years in the company, command was still far enough away. But Aer Lingus, in their wisdom or otherwise, decided in the early 80s to set up an organization called Aer Lingus Commuter. Um, basically, the routes that they were operating on jets to the UK, um, East Midlands, um, Manchester, were looking very thin on paper. So they took this opportunity, if that's the word, our commercial decision, to um, take in... The original aircraft they took in was the Short 330, which was a twin-tail, yeah. yeah. That didn't last very long. And then they took in the Short 360 and built a fleet. I don't know what the, the number I forgot, whether it was five or six or seven, but some of them had no autopilot, none of them had a yaw damper, and they were always interesting to fly. They were perfect on a good weather day, like in the summer. You couldn't, because you're flying as seven or eight thousand feet in the bad weather they were interesting that's all I'll say to you, you know so we'll, we, I learned more and I think a lot of the, the, my group who were on that we learned more about flying the propeller aircraft than we learned in all the years on the jet because of the limitations of it yeah. not dangerous but the limitations yeah. of it and um, it certainly was an interesting experience I have a fond memory of uh, being on one of those going into uh, Isle of Man at Ronald's Way in Crosswind and as a passenger I was looking down the runway out the window yeah, sideways yeah it had some interesting control things it had a modern wing on it but the body it was built like a bus literally because no matter how tall you were you could always stand up straight in it but it was just actually a bus with a, with a modern wing on it which had some interesting effects but it was, it, you know, and the other thing that then happened at that time was from Erlingus' point of view, we developed into the regional airports like Sligo, Galway, Kerry, Water for a while, Derry for a while. So that was interesting. So you do one, if you came in of an, of an afternoon slot, you do one trip to, say, Sligo, and uh, then you could do an evening slot to East Midlands and, or, Bel- or you know, wherever. Yeah, yeah. So that lasted for a while. Um, then Erlingus got into Fokker 50s. The, 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 obviously, the, um, the commercial picture was building. I was still on the shorts when Saab came along, mm. and Saab were interested in getting the um, Saab 340, I think, as we would have seen it, uh, the long into, into the green, mm. in, with the shamrock on it. So um, myself and Captain Connor Rock headed off to, in 1991, as the Gulf War, the first Gulf War started, headed off to Arlandia in uh, Sweden to do our typewriting course, even though at that point in time, the commercial decision hadn't been made to, but the, the introduction time was going to be very short we were going to actually fly the aircraft and we did I think in that summer mm. so we took in in the space of three to four months we took in four Saab 340s and then the um, the deal was that they would take the shorts now where to put them I don't know but I think they went some of them went on to fly for as military aircraft in the United States oh, okay. Army Air Force or whatever it was because mm. um, they a huge um Containerability, if you know what I mean. The, once you took the seats out, you, you had a lot of volume. So this, this, this large porta cabin with wings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, did you like the Saab? Oh, it was, it was a bit like a fighter aircraft. It was very in comparison with the shorts. You know, it operated. First of all, it was pressurized, so it operated up to twenty-five thousand feet. Now we didn't fly it that high. We were up at seventeen or eighteen. But as an autopilot, it was capable of low visibility cat two. It was a great experience, you know, and. Um, 
in comparison with the shorts, it was a, a significant move, you know, a significant improvement. Passenger-wise, it couldn't. I didn't think it matched the Fokker 50. The Fokker 50, the re, it was that was originally the Fokker 27, the F27. Mm. Fokker 50, from a passenger point of view, I thought was superb. Very quiet, huge capability. I mean, the range in that aircraft was significant. I think we, we operated occasionally down to places like Malig and that. Now, they, they were being mm. on one-off charters, but yeah. huge range on it. Handling-wise, it was a, the wing was on top, etc., etc. So, whereas the Saab was very, very sure in handling, and it, from a pilot point of view, you know. Mm. Um, but that lasted for another few years, and then um, British Aerospace came along, and they decided that they would like to um, maybe try and get her Lingus to uh, fly the 146 as it was then. So another project ensued, again in short time delivery. And in about 1995, a few of us uh, headed off towards uh, Woodford. Uh, we did the type rating, the ground school here, and then we did the simulators in um, in Woodford. And I think we brought the first ones back maybe in, in, in the summer of 1995. Mm. Again, very short introduction. Commercially, decisions weren't ours. They were just Aer Lingus and British Aerospace coming to some sort of an agreement. Mm. And uh, we flew them for, I think, until early 2000s when the organisation decided that they were no longer appropriate or suitable and they grounded them, um, I don't know, cut off the leases on them and then expanded the Airbus fleet, which is mm. another story. To which, which, is, which we'll talk in a minute. I'm just thinking about the, uh, the uh, as you say, the, the 146. Uh, London City was, of course, a big uh, a draw for that. Yeah, we came and went to London City. Now, I'm historically, I'm not 100% clear on it, but we did have a short slot in, 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 in the city, maybe 95, 96, and then the pull-out but then towards 98 and 99, I'm sure someone's going to correct me on this, we went back in and were there for some time. Mm. So that was an interesting airport in all respects. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what it is. It's yeah. a short enough runway. Yeah. It's, it's, it's up along the river there. So um, it's a steep approach and all those sort of things. So, um, so it's a little bit more than three degrees on the way in. Yeah. Yeah, it's about five or six or seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, and depends on the way you're handling it. It could mm-hmm. be, a, you know. But it, it, it was it, 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 it was an interesting operation. And, uh, what about it as an airplane? It's a British-designed aircraft, um, and you know, the, I've heard people very fond of it who flew. Yeah, it was a lovely airplane to fly. There's a famous Captain Donald Foley, excellent links. He says if it looks right, it has to fly right. Mm-hmm. And it was a beautiful. Now it was a, it the wing. If you look at that aircraft, and again historically, I can be corrected on it. The aircraft um, was probably designed in the late 50s, early 60s, but didn't fly till the 70s or 80s. So it was, to use a phrase, over-engineered. Mm. But the wing on it was the conventional, almost like a DC-3 wing, so there was a huge amount of lift on it. Um, it was basically for short haul or sh- and a short runway operation, you know. Mm. But it was a sweet, a sweet airplane in the air. A very, na- you know, a sort of, if it did anything silly, it, it would correct itself. You didn't need to be in- inputting anything into it. Um, Engineering-wise, it was from the 50s and 60s, and um, from the time our Lingus commuter was set up, um, we had a separate group of engineers who, in my mind, were the best in the world, and they've gone on to prove themselves either in our Lingus or in the uh, the Aviation Authority, but they were even found them challenging. Nothing on issue, no issues around safety, but just serviceability. And you can have one or two or three sit down over Friday evening just when ops control were trying to get everything going and that sort of thing. But mm. 
in their time they, they serve the purpose and the function that we're, we're looking I'm thinking about what four four little engines uh, and uh, and no reversers. Yeah, no no reversers. It had this big speed brake at the back. Mm. So that as you were coming in, just before you landed, you pulled the speed brake, and then. But again, with the way the gear, the landing gear was uh, designed and everything, it was a beautiful aircraft to land. Mm. Um, had to be straight when, when you touched down. There was no sideways approaches on it. But, um, and its cruise speed was low. It could go up to 31,000 feet, but I don't think we went up much above 25 or maybe 30, 31. Um, there was an issue at some stage with rollback on the engine. Now, we never had any issues like that. But again, um, yeah, it struggled in the end. It, it just, you know, the four engines, if, if you look at it from an economic point of view, it wasn't making sense to the financial people. And, and like in, in the end, you just, we moved on and moved out of that area. You know? And you're flying at this stage. You have your command. Uh, are you instructing? Um, yeah. On the, I got my first instruction, instructor ratings. They were called instructor examiners at that stage. Mm-hmm. They're now TRI, TREs on the Shorts 360, which was in about 1987, 88. Um, and then with the introduction of the Saab, I got another rating on that. And then again, further on, I was instructing, examining on um, the 146. Mm. Um, then I had a few other management jobs in, in, in the upside. I was fleet captain on, on one or two aircraft. And then a seniority took place. I moved on to 320 in about uh, 1998. Mm. I could be corrected in these mm. years. Um, and then I was deputy head of training in Erlingus at that stage, you know. I, I'm curious about that because, you know, people are often interested, yes, it's all the flying, but there's suddenly all, you have to think about your leadership role as well. And even within a big organisation like Erlingus, there'd be kind of a culture of the way things were done and mm. how things were done. What was the big focus that you had in terms of leading teams? Well, it's always, first of all, it's always safety. It's always safety. And, you know, whether you're introducing a new aircraft or you're a fleet manager, you're looking at what's going on out there and you're saying, that was okay. Now we'll have to have a closer look at that and everything else. But then, you know, I always found working with people a pleasure. It's not particularly, not, not so much that it isn't a challenge, but that you enjoy the challenge. Mm-hmm. And you set up a relationship with people so that if anything goes on out there, it's simple terms to come and tell you, as opposed to you saying, picking up the phone and saying, what will you do? Can you explain that one to me? <laughs> so, um, yeah, people have different views of leadership. Mine is you work as, as a, you might be called a team leader or whatever it is like that, mm. but you leave yourself open to approach by people at any level, whether it's in instruction or management. Mm. So if there's something going on, you'll often listen to people. You won't always agree with them, but if I think a lot of people feel, certainly in, in, on the upside, if, you know, if they have an ear um, and, and they feel they're listened to, then it makes everyone's life a lot easier. We'll be back with more after this short break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. CRM would have been developing uh, in parallel with your career almost. Uh, what, what was that like for you? Yeah, CRM was identified, Cruzor, sorry, Cruzor's management was identified um, even at the time around time I joined Erlingus by, I think by people in Erlingus, funnily enough, the likes of Captain Neil Johnson and a few other people as being critical to the efficient and safe operation of an airplane. In other words, quite simply put, you have two pilots in an airplane, it's a complex piece of equipment, they need to be able to work together. So out of that developed the whole CRM concept. And there's loads of instances or issue, examples in aviation where the crew weren't working efficiently together, where the senior captain made a brave decision and the junior pilot, and, and still around to some extent, say, was afraid to speak up or afraid to challenge. Not take authority, mm. but just even to say, are, not you, happy. are you sure that's right? Yeah. <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, there was a huge emphasis on that, and, and it goes work back into recruitment now in aviation, where you're looking at somebody, you're looking at their competencies, you know, their flying skills, their technical knowledge, but also in CRM terms, do you think this person will, will work well in the cockpit? In other words, if I'm flying with you for six hours, mm. um, am I going to, is that going to be okay? I don't have to like you or anything else, like that, but I do have to have a think. There can't be anything that's going to make it a bit gritty. No, no, yeah. and um, it doesn't matter what seat you're sitting in, mm. as I've discovered, you know, uh, the, the strange people can be in the other seat, if you know what I mean, <laughs> or the interesting people. I want to come onto the Airbus fleet in a minute, because I'm sure there's lots in there, but, but a little bit of advice maybe for some of the younger pilots who are listening to us, possibly going through that MCC, uh, and, you know, on the basis of you being sitting behind these two students in various different situations, what's what's the best advice you have for, for people who are trying to get into that? They've gone from single crew operation to multi. To multi. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, to understand what they're doing, uh, and if, if for your listeners or your audience, it's basically when they come to us, they have achieved single pilot competency. Mm-hmm. They now need, before, the aviation industry identified, and they, what they need to do is to learn how to work in a multi-crew environment. Mm-hmm. So what are we looking at? We're looking at, I suppose technical knowledge, we're looking at um, handling skills, but, uh, and, but we're also looking at the multi-crew. The understanding that SOP, standard operating mm. procedures, 
are there for a simple reason that if I fly with you, I've never met you before, I'm not going to do anything that you're not expecting and vice versa. And that we can work together on that basis. Um, so, but also, like, within, within the cockpit, that interaction has to be, should be positive. It's not a matter of challenging in a negative sense, but confirming in a positive mm-hmm. sense, if that's a way to put yeah, it, is yeah, it? Yeah. Um, so, in other words, no matter what the, the gradient is across the cockpit, you, I would lean across you and say, Michael, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. <laughs> and, and there being no... Uh, that requires a just culture as well, doesn't it, where people are, can, be, uh, can be happy to say, I made a mistake. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's the way you set yourself up at the beginning of the day. Like, you, you go in and, um, you know, you go in, you introduce yourself. I'm talking about the, the, mm. the, the you know, you introduce yourself and you set the tone. And normally, in simple terms, it's the captain that sets the tone. Mm. Now, the co-pilot sometimes sets the tone by, A, coming in late, not appearing or dressing to a standard and all mm-hmm. this sort of thing. But the captain generally sets the tone and you take it from there, you know. In other words, if I'm doing anything today... Uh, that you think I shouldn't be doing, will at least question it, please. Exactly Thank so. you. Yeah. I'm imagining you've sat on a couple of interview panels uh, for recruitment. What was your favourite question? Well, on the CRM side, it's a question that has no answer to, but it's where you're... Um, it's to see, it's to draw out the personality of the person where you're, you're flying with a senior captain and he or she is not operating to the strict SOP. They're not breaking safety rules or regulations, but they're flying, for example, say flying the aircraft a little bit faster than they should. So the question is, how are you going to handle that, you know? And as you know yourself from any environment that you've worked in, it's not, it's not an easy one. Yeah. If it's safety, it's no problem. You, you say, stop, I have, or whatever, in extreme, I have control over it. Yeah. But when it's at, at, on the margins of SOP, standard operating procedures, but not clearly. So what it does, in, in, in most cases, people come up with an answer that's reasonable, mm. which is all you're looking for. Mm. In some cases, which is where it's interesting, is they say, right, that's it, I have control, etc., etc., etc. And really that's telling you something about the individual that uh, you, you want to look at closer. And normally, for example, when we were doing interviews, certainly in Erlingas, you had HR people there, and they were very professional and very clued into that sort of thing. So a simple question, you know, uh, the black and white answer doesn't always work because a lot of aviation or a lot of life is a bit grey. It, it doesn't work like that. There's an SOP for everything. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about the Airbus fleet and your exposure to it and your time with it because there's some great stories. Yeah, I have a very... In Aer Lingus, historically, there's the Boeing people mm-hmm. and the Airbus people. Um, because Boeing was there effectively all, 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 all of our lives and that sort of thing. The first Airbus we got was the 330. And I think there's, an, again, aviation, you need to get an aviation historian to tell this one accurately. Mm. But there was a company called Air and Terror in France that was due to take them and um, financial difficulties they didn't. And Airlings were approached in Lourdes, would they take it, you know. So, again, a short-term contract, and you had people involved like Joe Lennon, the chief engineer, another famous name was Conor McCarthy, who I think was the project person on it and that sort of thing. It was agreed that they'd take it mm-hmm. and use it for across the Atlantic. Now, the aircraft, that's it, as I remember, was brand new. Mm. It was almost proof of concept sort of thing. But to me, it made a huge difference to our lingus because what we had was ageing jumbos, and... Again, I wasn't involved in commercially, but I don't think no matter what you did with that jumbo, it never looked right commercially. Whereas is the 330, if you took it, if it wasn't flying passengers, it was carrying cargo. And I think to this day, 
it's a very effective and efficient. Mm. So in my view, it's certainly, and again, you know, there are other people who know better, it certainly saved our lingus long haul. And um, the, the airplane itself was, was interesting to fly. I'm a fan of Airbus at this stage mm. because I, I spent the last 12 years of my career on Airbus, be it the 320 or the 330. And I think for what they designed in the 80s, so in other words, the, the first aircraft was a 320, and then you move to the 330. It's, you know, of the fly-by-wire type. Mm. And if you get on a, a 350, you're looking at the same airplane. Now, the systems may have been enhanced or improved or something else like that, but it's the same, it's the same cockpit, effectively. Television screens, for want of a better word, yeah. have got bigger, mm. but the displays are just larger, you know. Mm. So mm. I think in 20 years' time, if there's another Airbus, the cockpit is going to be the same. So I think it's a, f- a phenomenal achievement. And um, there was a lot of stories told about the Airbus, but I, I, I think what, what the challenge is for anyone who's flying Airbus, and it's particularly for the management of the training, is there are, there are things there that you need to understand. Of course it's written in every manual. These things are written. But at an instructional level, at a type rating level, you need to have the quality of training where you go in. Boeing can be quite basic. Say the seven, we have a, in Simtech we have a 7781. It's still the original 737-200 with add-ons. You know That's another story. But the Airbus is different. It's all there. It does what it says on the thing, but you have to understand what it's doing. You know, And I certainly did it. I would have done a type rating. My original type rating was down in... Airbus. I'm curious about you know being at what five four north three zero west in the dark, in an airplane that's being run by computers and you have to start making decisions. What's that feeling? It's actually okay. It's never. I I operated the the the, the, the three hundred or the three thirteen for ten years. It never did anything I I didn't expect to do. Now maybe I was just born lucky or something mm. like that. The engines always turned. The systems always worked. There, there was the odd time when a system would decide I'm not happy with this, but it usually came good with a reset or something else like that. But in terms of reliability, I mean... It, 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 and, and what is it like for the commander of an aircraft like that? Because you've got a whole lot of passengers, you've got a cabin crew, you've got your crew, and I'm not saying it's the big adventure, but it's probably still one of the long-haul flying has a tremendous amount of responsibility attached to it. Yeah, it probably does. Now, it depends on who you talk to. Long haul has different definitions for it. So out of Dublin, long haul, you know, to, to, to my favourite place like Boston is a short hop. You know, it's, it's five or six hours. New York is a little bit longer. Chicago is a little bit longer. Then you go to the West Coast and that sort of thing. Um, and then you're, you're introducing a heavier crew. Um, it, yeah, but if you go down to the Middle East, if you're in Emirates or something like that, I mean, long haul is, is, is a, a totally different thing in different directions. I didn't find it any more challenging. I, I would, if I was abroad now, at the same, when I was on, I was doing a little bit of management, so I wasn't flying every day of every week. But um, you just rest when you're away, or you do whatever it is like that, and coming back, you're okay. You go through the night and that sort of thing. But I didn't find it any any different. Now I would say if you're doing real long haul, which is the north, south, east, and west thing, it might be your your body. Yeah. Might be in a, a different. Bit of a toll for it. That then, might yeah. be a bit of a toll, and yeah. you probably need to get more, you know, different people to talk to you about that. You know, where your days off or when you're away and things like that. You know, your body clock um, could be in a different place to your head. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about your first flight, the lesson you did before your um, your your job interview with Aer Lingus. Your last flight uh, with uh, in a commercial in a revenue mm-hmm. context. Um, did that sneak up on you, or was it something that you were planning? No, again, um, within the upside, I had 
I was 58 when this happened. Um, it was 2012. It's come to the 10 years at this stage. I knew it was coming. My view of aviation for me personally was I got so much out of it. Mm. And Erlingus gave me opportunities that I would never have got. You know, the world has changed since then, but it was a good place to work. The people we were working with at all and every level of professionals. Mm. And um, I was, was I sorry to go? I was, but in a sense, you know, at coming towards the end of your career, it's time to wake up and, and say, well, you know, it just doesn't go on forever. Mm. You've had a good, you've enjoyed working with the people, so I, I, I took it for what it was, and I enjoyed the last flight. I enjoyed the last the last landing here in runway 28 in Dublin on the 17th of June, 2012, you know. You have the date. I have the date yeah. quite clear in my mind, you know, yeah. but it, it was... Now, it wasn't, I mean, some people can never leave aviation. That's what, it's, it's not so much you can't leave, but you can't leave a job. Mm. But there are times you move on. Mm. And that, for me, was the end of, of a very happy time in a great career, in a great company. And you, you can't, in my view, you can't keep asking for more. Would you still look up if you see an airplane? Absolutely. I mean, I can be seen, uh, sometimes seen at the back of the airport here. Yeah. Um, with a lot of other people as well, by the way. I think they seem to be back in numbers now. Absolutely. Always. Yeah. Always. I was always looking up before I got into aviation, so I suppose the last breath will be looking up or something like that. You know. Jimmy Devlin, thank you for talking to us on Squawk 7000. Okay, my pleasure. Thanks, Michael. To get the news first, subscribe now to Squawk 7000 on your favorite podcast platform. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.